The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. I have a question for you. When you die, are you going to a better place? When you die, are you going to a better place? Immediately, many of you will answer, Of course I am. Yes, no doubt. I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. I listened to an interview with Sammy Davis Jr., the comedian. And he was asked that question. Sammy, when you die, are you going to go to a better place? Of course, he was Jewish. His answer was given without missing a beat. He said, of course, I'm going to a better place. Everyone is going to a better place. Of course, Sammy Davis Jr. was a man of the world in every respect, a womanizer, an abuser of his body a man who walked in pride and arrogance before God, a part of the so-called rat pack. But he was confident that he was headed to a much better place when he died. I wonder what he thinks now, because he's gone on to that place. And I can assure you, it was not a better place. This walk with Jesus requires a great deal of sober awareness, much of which is missing in the American church, almost totally non-existent. In the book of Genesis, we find this astonishing statement at the very beginning. Chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. And we learn from the Gospel of John, the first chapter. We learn from Colossians, the first chapter. We learn from Hebrews, the first chapter, that it was Jesus who created everything in the heavens and the earth, that he is the creator God. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And out of that, the scriptures tell us, God brought forth something that was very beautiful. But then in chapter 3, Now the serpent, the dragon, was more cunning than any beast of the field that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. 
the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that the day you eat of it your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit, and she ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. You shall not surely die. That was the word of the demonic power. You shall not surely die. We come to the book of Second Peter. Almost three quarters of the book of Second Peter deals with a very painful and difficult subject. I'll begin reading chapter 2, verse 1. This is Second Peter, chapter 2, verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, as even among you there will be false teachers who will secretly bring in heresies of destruction, even denying the master, the one having redeemed them, bringing imminent destruction upon themselves. And many will follow after their destructive ways, because of whom the way of the truth will be blasphemed. I read this, and my heart breaks, because this is precisely what has happened in the Christian church. False prophets, false teachers, brought in heresies of destruction, denying even the master, the one having redeemed them, bringing imminent destruction upon themselves. And many will follow after their destructive ways, because of whom the way of the truth will be blasphemed. In other words, he's saying that the word of God will be cast down, another gospel will arise, And it will be made up of men who are primarily interested in business. That is, they will exploit you. And that word exploit in the Greek literally means to travel for business. A deceiving of one for one's own advantage. So, At the end of time, we could expect a strong delusion of a false teaching or teachings that would result in the pastor and the leadership 
representing the business aspects of the church. The church would become an institution and not a body. The church would be primarily concerned with building edifices, church buildings. The church would be primarily concerned with finances. And pastors would come to be hired as hirelings, as professional, well-educated men and women who do not know the truth, who have no experience of the holiness of God. And this is what has happened in the American church. Now, Jesus also spoke of this in Matthew, the seventh chapter. Matthew, the seventh chapter. He says this. Not everyone saying to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of the heavens. But the ones that keep on doing the will of my Father in the heavens. Part of the false doctrine that has arisen in our church across America is this false doctrine that says, what you do does not matter. You are saved once and for all. You cannot be lost. And if you do something wrong or if you sin against the Lord and you can't stop sinning against him, you will simply lose some rewards in heaven. But you yourselves will be saved. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we interpreted divine revelation in your name, did we not? In your name we cast out demons, and in your name we did many deeds of power, did we not? But then I will plainly assure them, I never recognized you. You must depart from me, the ones working lawlessness, or the ones, as the New International Version says, the ones who are evildoers. Now, I bring this today because I am with Peter, Desperately concerned. Desperately concerned. There is a curse today everywhere in the modern church in America. It is the curse of spiritual pride hiding our nakedness from God. a curse of spiritual pride hiding our nakedness from God. And so I've asked many people who call themselves Christians, when you die, are you going to a better place? And without missing a beat, they say, oh yes, I'm saved. I'm saved. But they continue to walk in the pride of their heart 
with no fear of God, no humility. They continue to follow the ways of the world. The world recognizes them as their own. They don't know how to pray. They don't spend time crying out before God. They're simply assured that they're saved and they're on their way to heaven. And countless preachers, nationally and in the local church, continually give sinners words of encouragement, words of comfort, words of assurance that they are saved and they're on their way to heaven when they are not on their way to heaven at all. They're on their way to hell. How many funerals have you been to where you knew the person being spoken of was an ungodly person, and yet the preacher preached them right into heaven? Now, may I be very plain with you today, please? It doesn't matter whether you think you're on your way to heaven or not. It really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you think you're saved or not. It doesn't matter what you think. It matters what God thinks. The Lord God of heaven is the one who will decide who will enter his gates and who will be kept out. We are not the judge. And we are not the ones who will determine what is right and what is wrong. Now, Eve was very clear that she wanted to be able to be the one who would decide what is right and what is wrong. She was the one who desired to gain the knowledge that would allow her to make her own judgments. She desired to be in charge of her own life. It didn't matter what she thought. It mattered what God thought. And his judgment immediately fell on Adam and Eve, and they saw their nakedness before God. Teachers and preachers today go to great lengths to help the people called Christians to hide their nakedness from themselves, from each other, and from God. But when God looks at us, he sees our nakedness. We've been taught in the American church that we're covered by grace and that when God looks at us, he doesn't see us. He sees himself. We are filled with imputed righteousness, not real righteousness. This is a diabolical sin that will take countless numbers to hell. It is not in accord with the word of God. It is brought to us by the false prophets and the false teachers who have brought in these heresies, even denying the master. How have they denied the master? They have denied that the blood of Jesus has the power to wash away their sin. In reality, 
They deny this. They say we will always be sinners before God. We can never be made righteous by the power of the blood. That's to denigrate the blood of Jesus. It's to dismiss the blood of Jesus. Now today, the church is filled with pride, with anger, with bitterness, with divorce. The church is filled with hard-edged people. I spoke with one dear sister who is dedicated to Jesus. But as soon as I began to speak with her about certain aspects of the gospel, she became angry with me and cut me off. She cut me off and said, Pastor, I know I'm saved. I know I'm on my way to heaven. Are you sure with that hard edge, with that pride, with that arrogance before God? Are you so certain? And she would hear nothing of what I said. In fact, one sister became enraged with me and began to scream and yell at me. I'm a mature Christian. I'm on my way to heaven. You don't tell me to go back and re-examine my standing with God. I know where I stand with Jesus. He loves me and I'm saved. Really? With that behavior? With that hard edge? There is a curse everywhere today in the church of spiritual pride as we endeavor to hide our nakedness first from ourselves and then from others and then from Jesus with no admission of our true condition before a holy and righteous God. Paul goes on. In coveting these teachers with made-up words, they will exploit you for whom the judgment of old is not idle. In fact, their destruction will not slumber. It is on the way. I've watched reading the history of the Christian church and reading the stories of what happened with the Judaism. I've watched as a pattern has been followed. And that pattern is that God will come in great love and kindness and mercy to awaken the Christians, to call into his kingdom those who will respond. And then after he has poured out his spirit in kindness, a great tragedy will follow. This started in the Old Testament, where the prophet Isaiah and then Jeremiah 
spoke with earnest warnings to the children of Israel, telling them that because of their wickedness, God was going to judge them. And as that message of mercy and kindness went out from Isaiah, and then as it went out through Jeremiah, the people did not respond. But instead, this offer of mercy seemed to harden their hearts. Finally, in the hardness of their hearts, Jerusalem was burned. And countless numbers of Jewish people lost their lives. And the city was burned and people were led naked into captivity. And then again, Jesus came to his own. He was that baby in the manger. He came humbly among us. He did wonders that no one had ever seen or even thought could happen. Raising the dead, Lazarus. Healing the blind, touching the leper. Preaching with words of great kindness and mercy. Calling the people to believe in him and to repent of their sins. To to be made righteous. He was crucified. And then comes the judgment that Jesus predicted in A.D. 70 as Titus came and he burned Jerusalem and over a million Jews were were murdered and countless numbers were scattered, taken into captivity. And for some 500 years, Jerusalem was under the power of pagan wicked people. In America, the Holy Spirit was poured out in power. Jonathan Edwards and others with an intense call to leave their sin. And then came the War of Independence, where many, many, many lost their lives. And then again, revival came to America. And after the revival came, God poured out his judgment on the Civil War. An American fought American. Again, the Lord poured out his wonderful mercy over this nation. And the world wars came. Again, the Lord began to sovereignly move. And we received the Jesus movement. And then came death and destruction in war. Because America and the American church would not repent. We are now beginning to enter a time once more 
of confrontation for our sin and our pride and our wickedness. We are beginning through this broadcast and through other precious men and women being warned that we must turn from our spiritual pride. We must humble our hearts before Almighty God. We must stop hiding our nakedness. We must stop trusting in our institutions. We must stop trusting that some great man of God or woman of God is going to come and they're going to bring revival. This is a time of great mercy. And God is beginning. God is beginning to bring forth what he desires, which is a rebuke for our sin. Now for many years, the wicked gospel of the sinning Christian of the imputed grace of Jesus, equating the blood of Jesus to be of no more value than the blood of bulls and goats. The wicked reduction of the power of the blood of Jesus. The wicked beliefs that we are saved and on our way to heaven when in fact We're godless. We're religious, but we're godless. We don't have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have not received the wonderful comfort of the Holy Spirit. He's been far from us. And I believe we now are beginning to feel and see men and women bring confrontation for our wickedness. I'm going to be very bold with you and say that every pastor, every teacher, whether they are famous and well-known or unknown in the church, every pastor, every prophet, every teacher that speaks words of encouragement to you to believe that you are saved in the midst of your sins, is a hireling and a wicked, wicked man or woman, and they will be cast out and cast down from the kingdom of God. Any preacher or any teacher that dares tell you that you are saved and cannot be lost, that you, once you accept Jesus, you're home, you're, you're good to go, and you can continue sinning, but you'll only lose a few of your rewards. That person, is a wicked man or a wicked person, a wicked woman. I listened to one prophetess who says, if you do not turn from your sins, America, if you do not receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that is beginning to come upon America, if you reject the grace of Jesus Christ to transform you and make you righteous. You will be lost. And America, it's too late for you. 
your sins are piled up to the sky. And the judgments of God are going to be poured out upon you. And many of you naked will be taken off into captivity in Russia or China or wherever. And America will be destroyed. And then I hear another prophetess who says, we're going to go through a bit of a hard time with this, with this difficulty with finances and the crashing economy. And then we're going to have a wonderful renaissance in America. And we're going to go back to where we used to be. And America will be righteous, saved because of Jesus' blood. Imputed righteousness, not real righteousness. And America is going to lead the world. Two prophetesses speaking absolutely diametrically opposed words. Saying we're coming into a time of great prosperity in America. Well, which would you choose to listen to and believe? Well, in the flesh, we would all choose the latter prophetess. But in the Spirit of God, we have to choose the first one. America has sinned so grossly against America and the world. Wicked, wicked leaders corrupt government officials, corrupt judges. We've caused the death and misery and poverty of countless numbers of people across the world, Iraq, Iran. It was America that had the Shah of Iran kicked out He was open to the gospel. Christians were free in that day. It was America who who ruined Syria. I could go on and on. It's America who has committed such atrocities, murdering the babies in the womb. I am grieved for America. But right now, a small window is opening of grace for America. If we will repent of our, of our spiritual pride, if we will turn from that curse, if we will humble our hearts before God, if we will stop hiding our nakedness from each other. From God. From ourselves. God is beginning to bring rebuke and confrontation to America. Will there be a great revival? Any coming revival will only match the level of heartbroken repentance before a holy God. And if the church will not turn from its wicked way, 
from its comfortable place in its beautiful facades, from its beautiful buildings, from its business models and its machinery, and recognize that God does not respect your buildings or your machinery. That your pride is based on what you think you have and what you think you are, and it's based on a false teaching. For God spared not angels after having sinned, but delivered them to chains of dense darkness, having held them captive in Tarsus, being kept for judgment, and spared not the ancient world, but preserved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, having brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah he condemned with destruction, having reduced them to ashes, having made them an example of things coming to the ungodly. Oh, my brother, my sister, we are the ungodly. And I know that right now God is bringing to us a message of repentance and sorrow to break the curse of of spiritual pride to stop us from hiding hiding our our nakedness from God and from each other from ourselves and if we will respond to these messages, not saying, oh yes, I'm on my way to heaven, because you're probably not. Can I be very plain with you? I'm not sure an American at this point can even be saved. We're so filled with pride and arrogance. so confident in our institutions and our highly educated pastors, our teachers, our prophets, our our experiences. We're so confident. But no weeping for the lost. No humbling of our hearts before God. No humbling of our hearts before God. If we will respond to these messages of repentance that are coming to us from many different places, not mainstream media, not mainstream Christian church, they're all full of themselves with their strategies for success and prosperity and building up of their kingdoms, their pride in their prejudice against any other church, their competition. No, coming from unknown men and women, unsung heroes. If we will heed these faint voices that we will begin to hear more and more in America, 
then God will pour out his spirit for America. But I can tell you now that most will reject. And I can tell you now that there is catastrophic loss coming to America. Our nation is to be destroyed. The judgments of God have been spoken against us. And now my only hope is not for America. I love America. I've poured out my life in this city to win the lost. I love America. But America is doomed. And it's God who will decide our fate. But I can tell you, that after every pouring out of the Spirit of God in revival comes the destruction of that nation or city or people who will not respond. Already, the tentacles of tribulation are being stretched around us. Our freedoms are being stripped away from us. Things that Two years ago, I would have said, you're crazy. That could not happen in America. Oh, but it is. And wickedness is flourishing in the church and in the country. And God, in his grace and in his mercy, will raise up for a time a standard of righteousness And then he will bring the judgment. We serve a God of of great love and mercy and compassion. But he will not allow sin to go unpunished. Now, I don't know how to say this to you, so I'm just going to try. Even in my own life, I recognize my shallowness. I recognize my slowness of heart. I recognize how hard it is to reach God's throne. I know I'm not adequate. I know I have no power. I know I'm naked. And I'm standing by faith that Jesus is clothing me in the white raiment. If you want Jesus, you're going to have to stop contemplating the things of this world, the television, the entertainment. You're going to have to take your eyes off all the YouTube videos and the movies. You're going to have to take your eyes off yourself. And you're going to have to look at Jesus. That means reading the scriptures, praying, fasting, and giving sacrificially to the work of God and to the poor. That's what I'm doing. I'm seeking the face of God with 
all of my energy and all of my might. I've had to cast off these false notions of entrepreneurship. I've had to cast off the belief that we need organization. People have said to me, Pastor, you need to get the National Prayer Chapel organized. You need to set in place programs. No, I don't. God cannot use the machinations of our machinery. Either he comes by his spirit, or he will not come at all. Either we give ourselves to Jesus to search after him and to pray, or he will not come. And so reading the Bible, feasting on the word, focusing our mind on Jesus, looking carefully after our prayer life. You can't work it up. You may have to just sit silent before God for some time. seeking to be with other men and women who are also in the same place, hungering after Jesus. I read of the Welsh revival, and it said there were so many people seeking Jesus that that the pastors became exhausted. Well, today I see almost no one seeking after Jesus. They're seeking after their own spiritual pride, their own lifestyle, their own building of their kingdom. I'm eager for you, if you are hungry for Jesus, if you if you want to look upon the Lord, if you want to read the word, if you want to pray, if you want the blessing of the Holy Spirit, then come to the National Prayer Chapel, a small house church. We're nobody, but we're going to pray. And we're going to seek the face of Jesus. If those things don't interest you, don't come. Because we're not going to organize and and set in place programs and, and build our great church. We're not going to do it. I've done that. I'm done. I'm finished with the institutional church. I want the body of Jesus Christ filled by the spirit of the living God. Seeking after. Fasting. giving to the poor, giving to the work of the gospel. Those are the four disciplines that have been used in the scriptures that Jesus spoke of. I know I'm not who I need to be. I don't see how he can use me for the work of the gospel, but I'm standing by faith that he will in his great mercy and his great kindness use this radio broadcast to accomplish some small measure of conviction in your hearts, turning you toward heaven.
I've not said these words today to be hard-edged or or in any way discouraging to you. I love you with all of my heart. I love the church. But I know we're on the wrong road. As an American church, we're on the broad highway and we're going to be cast down if we don't repent. If you think, and if you answered the question that I asked at the beginning, when you die, are you going to a better place? If you answered that, oh, yes, 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 you're in trouble. Your heart's filled with pride. And you're probably headed for hell. It's time to get with Jesus and get his evaluation and ask him to under, uncover the nakedness of your heart and your pride. Almighty God, all I know to do is to cry out before you and say, Oh Lord, we're unworthy. But I believe that in our unworthiness you see our great need And I know your compassion is from everlasting. I know you know how to deliver your people out of unrighteousness. I know your heart is a heart of love and compassion and mercy. And our pride has filled the heavens. Our hard edges and our self-righteousness our arrogance before you and before each other. Lord, I plead your mercy today for your people. I plead your mercy for your people. I ask that you would raise up voices of righteousness across this country. I ask that you would lift up a standard of righteousness and a rebuke for our wickedness. Almighty one of Israel, you are our only hope. You are my only hope. And I put my trust and my confidence in you, Jesus, and ask that you break every false belief from my heart and the hearts of your people. I ask that you would rip the veil from our faces that we could see you, Jesus. I ask that you would open our eyes and give us understanding of the nakedness of our hearts before you. Oh, Lord, come quickly. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I do love you. I pray today this has been helpful to you. I'd love... Write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, nationalprayerchapel.com. This broadcast will be up later today. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon.